0: Right, well, uh, welcome back tonight to our evening service, our study in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, we're going to be back over there with chapter 7, hopefully get a little more traction moving through this as we uh, talk about uh, these um, these betterments in a, in a believer's life. Um, but um, uh, before we get started, let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, again, we are very thankful to be here this evening and thankful again to come to hear your word. I thank you again so much for just the blessing of uh, being able to be instructed, guided, directed according to your will, through your word. Lord, I pray that um, as we looked at this morning, we would definitely take a more earnest heed to these things that we're listening to tonight, that Lord, it would uh, give us that uh, necessary understanding about uh, how to please you, how to honor you, how to uh, do what you've asked of us, to follow the commandments, fear you, and again, Lord, to keep you at the center of everything that we do as the main priority. And Lord, again, I just pray that you would be with me tonight, that you would speak through me, that this time would be honoring and pleasing unto you. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, we had uh, taken a look at uh, some of those uh, those betterments that were there, and we saw, obviously, um, in the first part, where there was about uh, three or four of those, and uh, we kind of left off right there um, around verse 5, where it says, "...it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise." then for a man to hear the song of fools for as the crackling of thorns under a pot so is the laughter of a fool this also is vanity and again here he is uh, talking about this uh, you know in relationship to uh, how god is seeing foolishness and again we see the contrast between wisdom and the fool um that is outlined in proverbs we see the same thing here And and again, when we think of those that are wise, a person that is wise, according to the book of Proverbs, is one that is seeking after the things of God. And and I just kind of wanted to touch a a, a little bit of a a base with that, so if you wouldn't mind, turn over to the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs um, chapter 8, and uh, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but this whole chapter is dedicated to wisdom. Now, interestingly enough, wisdom here is portrayed in a female sense, and in the previous chapter, uh, the things of this forward woman, uh, the false doctrine, foolishness, if you will, is portrayed in chapter 7. So right after chapter 7, where he says, this is what you need to avoid, he gets into chapter 8 and says, this is what you need to seek after. And as you go through this and you begin to take a look at it, here you see in verse 1, doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice. And it goes through how she calls out and she's desiring that people would come. But what we find here is, uh, uh, as we go through this, we find out what wisdom is all about. <clears throat> and if you go down here a little bit further uh, to this passage in verse 10, it says, receive my instruction and not silver, and knowledge... Rather than choice gold, again, we have this this uh, comparison to riches and the wisdom that is being given here. In verse 11, it says, For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. And here, God is clearly stating, and it's stating here in the voice of wisdom, what exactly is the better choice? People will sit there and think, well, I want all of these things of this world. Well, we found that when faced with a decision and faced with that choice, uh, Solomon, rather than choosing riches, even though he was given them later on, he chose wisdom because he said he didn't have any understanding about how to lead the people. And here he is, you know, obviously being a prince in his uh, father's home, King David, and here he is uh, learning all of these things. He still understood that in order to lead it the right way, he needed some direction from the Lord. He needed this wisdom. And this is exactly when Proverbs 4, David told him to seek after. And he's diligently seeking it in this manner. And as we go through here, as he talks about this, in, in verse uh, um, 12, it says, I wisdom dwell with prudence. And find out and, excuse me and find out knowledge of witty inventions, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogancy, the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate? He makes it very clear here that these are the things that are contrary to wisdom. and, and interestingly enough, wisdom is communicating that she hates these things. she hates these things. and this is the exact same stuff that that, that, that God hates, as we talked about this morning, about how God hates iniquity. But as we go through this a little bit better, we see all of these things. If you will jump down over there to um, in verse 22, it says, The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting from the beginning or ever the earth was. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills uh, was I brought forth. While I was yet, uh, he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth. When he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree and the waters that should not pass his command, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, then was I by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth, and, in my, and my delights were with the son of men. So we find here that he's establishing where Solomon's establishing where wisdom comes from. Wisdom is from God. The foolishness and the nature that we see of a fool is completely opposite of this. So when we get to these passages, keeping this in mind, going back over there to Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes chapter 7, He says, it is better, in verse 5, to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. And and, and here here is a very interesting uh, saying, if you will. Here he is talking about a rebuke. And and again, rebukes are necessary. They're part of the corrective process that God has set up. There's the rebuke that starts out. Uh, the rebuke that starts out with, you know, as an example, Nathan pointing to King David, thou art the man, or when sin is identified, somebody comes in and says, this is wrong. What you did is wrong. This is sin. It could be a situation where somebody comes up and says, um, you have offended me. You have sinned against me. Something of that nature, that rebuke is there. Now, here's the issue. When rebuke comes to a fool, he won't listen to it. He refuses it. He doesn't want any part of it. He doesn't want to deal with it. He pushes back against it. And, and, and that is somebody that is refusing wisdom. And let's be clear, if you refuse wisdom, you're refusing God. If you're refusing wisdom, you're refusing God. And what we need to do is understand that that is a foolish behavior where the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So we see that it is, if you will, an anti-God, anti-Christ mentality. So as we look at this here in this specific passage, and he's saying it is a better thing to do. It is a better thing to do. Now, the, the comparison that is being made here, he's talking about a rebuke of the wise or a song of the fool. The song of the fool. Now, obviously, we we don't necessarily always think this way. We we, we have a tendency to read something like that and go, well, I'll listen to the rebuke. I'm not going to listen to the song of the fool. The problem is, is we get so caught up listening to the song of the fool that we never hear the rebuke, and here's the, here's the issue. When we take a look at this this passage, we I want us to kind of, if you will, look at that song of the fool and understand that that is the equivalent of drowning out any conversation, any word that would be corrective in nature. Now. <clears throat> Again, when we, when you think about it, people are not always necessarily going to, 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 to want to respond in a way that is favorable to wisdom. And what they will do is they will try to drown it out with something else. Now look, the song of the fool can be many different things. Whatever it is, is it's essentially a noise uh, a music, something that is meant to drown out whatever is giving that conviction, and, and, and that's a very clear thing that God talks about. He says, "Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God." Right. So we understand that hearing is an important part of what of what a believer should be doing. We talked about it a little bit a little bit this morning. So when we don't listen, and we choose not to listen, we choose not to listen when somebody says, that's a bad idea. <laughs> Scripturally, they look at it and they go, that's a bad idea. Many times, what do we kind of do? We drown it out with the, the, the song of the fool. If you will, our own personal anthem. I mean, it, look, we, we all kind of have some favorite songs, Right? We all have some kind of favorite themes or or, or something of that nature. And and, and there's certain songs that I truly enjoy. And and I enjoy a lot of instrumental. I I, I don't, um, you know, some of my preference isn't always about words. But I like to hear instrumentals. And I will tell you that, you know, you think about it, the same thing is true with with our daily lives. It's almost like the soundtrack. We get caught up in the soundtrack. I mean, isn't it amazing how you can sit down, and if you would, watch two of the, the same, uh, if you will, parts of a movie or, or a show or something, and you will see one with music and then one without, and the one without does not convey the same emotion as the one with. Well, why is that? That's because individuals that began using music before they could actually get speech recorded and things of that nature, and they were the silent pictures, how did they convey the emotion? Through music. Through music. They would sit there, they would have an orchestra, the orchestra would play along with the music. It was the soundtrack. They would listen to that. Now, I'll tell you this, we often will follow a soundtrack, if you will, what we think is going to move us in an emotional sense, rather than listening to the rebuke of God. Because we will want to move according to how our emotions are leading us. Songs play on emotions. Songs speak to your heart. I mean, there are songs that you listen to that will bring you to tears. There were song, songs that, if you will, will lift your your your, your spirits. There are songs that, that you listen to, and as you're driving down the road, you, you, you drive differently. You know, here you are listening to uh, Claire de Lune by Debussy, and you're just kind of like... Eh. But then you crank up a good polka, totally different story. (laughs) You're jutting to the left, you're jutting to the right, you're cutting people off. (laughs) Slow down, speed up. If you're driving like that, please uh, don't. (laughs) But you understand that for some people, you know, something like that comes on, and it's immediately you're like, "Ah, ah," you know, trying to turn it off or change the station or whatever it may be, trying to skip forward. we behave differently when songs come on. And here, this song of fools is something that will, if you will, drown out that rebuke. It causes us not to think. It causes us not to hear. And it is foolish in nature because, again, it is the, the disregard of the rebuke of the wise. There is only one wise one in the entirety of existence, and that is God. Solomon was a wise man, but I will tell you this, God is far wiser. Why? Because he had wisdom, he created wisdom, wisdom is his, and he gives it freely. And as it says that the wisdom that is from above that, that is what is godly. The stuff that is down here below, uh, the wisdom of the world is, is sensual and devilish. Sensual. As in, it speaks to your flesh. The senses. We smell. We were, we were, uh, driving, uh, um, uh, to go get some food after church. And, and, and now, um, now it's barbecue season. And, and you go outside and, you know, you got your neighbors out here, they're cooking and you can smell the barbecue. <laughs> we're, we're, we're driving home and we're getting ready to come here. Me and Emma, we get in the Kia and, and, uh, you know, I, I've got the windows rolled down and, and you know what you can smell? It's getting close to five o'clock, six o'clock. Barbecues are firing up and you just drive through the neighborhoods, just go like some dog out the window, (laughs) just enjoying it. It's a sense, right? And what does it do? It creates a craving inside of you. It creates a desire. You smell that, and what do you want? You want barbecue ribs. You want burgers. You want grilled sausage. You want bacon-wrapped bacon on a bacon steak. (laughs) I mean, you want something like that. Because you can smell it, it affects you. You know, we, we touch certain things, and there's certain things that we enjoy the touch of. You know, it, 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 it's funny, you go through some of these places like HomeGoods, and 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 you find yourself walking down the blanket aisle, what do you do? How do you tell if it's a blanket you like or not? You're just like walking down there and you're feeling it. And if it's something soft, I just watch Emma disappear right into it. <laughs> Softer, you know, the softer the blanket, the, the the more appealing it is for some reason. You're walking down, and then you, you know, here we got this new trend is a burlap blanket. And you're like, no, <laughs> no, thank you, <clears throat> unless you want to, you know, to to afflict yourself as they did in the Old Testament. But you you you, you then gravitate towards it, and it it will inspire you, if you will, to want to purchase it. The same thing that we do with with, with our eyes. We will see things and it is the lust of our eyes that causes the problems. We see things and we like it. We we, we, we kind of get excited about that. You know, for, for guys, you know, here you are, you're driving around some and some females as well. Uh, me and my daughter, we're, we're sitting there in line getting ready to get some food. And, and you know, here comes one of those new Corvettes and it's got the red brakes and everything. It's this dark gray color, everything. And I go, ooh. And then she's like, ooh. <laughs> and, you, and you kind of respond that way. Your eyes affect it. But here's the issue with the ears. What we allow to get in there will affect how we respond. This is why it's better to allow the wisdom to come in than, if you will, the song of a foolish nature that's gonna drown out those things of God. This is the idea. This is what we should want. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. And and, uh, and we go through this in in verse twenty. It says, "My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart, and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee; when thou sleepest, it shall keep thee; and when thou wakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light. And reproofs are uh, uh, reproofs of instruction. Are the way of life to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue." of a strange woman. This is exactly what he talks about in the next chapter. He talks about lusting after her beauty in her, in your heart, all of these things. And what is he talking about here? He's saying the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. You ever have that where, where, where maybe you were listening for something and, and and you missed part of the instruction and you didn't either complete the task or complete the assignment or something. I remember the first time I learned that lesson. I was in first grade. I was in Walla Walla, Washington. And, uh, I'm there at, uh, that uh, Liberty Christian Academy. This is obviously left an indelible impression. Mrs. Evanuk was the, was the, my first grade teacher and her husband, Mr. Evanuk, was the principal of the school. It was a large school. And I remember sitting there and you receiving our, our our paper and our assignment that we were to do. And I remember only hearing to do the one side. I missed the part where I was supposed to do the back side of the assignment. So of course I finished the first part of it. I get up and I put it down on the the um, uh, in the bin for for grading, and it was the first one there. Why? Because I was the first one done. Because I only did half of it. Logical explanation. I was promptly accused um, when the, grade, the stack was graded of putting it on the bottom so as to avoid, and I was accused of lying. I, I adamantly denied it, but there was, no, there was no if and or but about it, and I was taken to the principal's office. And I received one single solitary SWAT on my back side, my bottom and uh i i was shocked i was horrified immediately wanted to call for justice and picket the no I, <laughs> I i didn't know what to do but of course the school being a, a fairly decent school and they were trying to do the things christian doing it the right way uh they called my mother Well, my mother flew down there and she demanded the evidence and when it was given that, oh, well he put it on the bottom of the sack. And my mom was like, are you sure about that? you sure maybe he just didn't finish it first and put it down first. That thought never crossed her mind. Never crossed her mind. But I, I learned a lesson about making sure I pay attention. Now look, I will tell you this. I, to this day, will adamantly go down in the annals of history of saying, I did not lie. (laughs) But I learned a lesson that day. You know what that lesson is? Pay attention. Pay attention. Everyone else heard, I didn't. And whether it was I tuned it out, or whether I had some of the thought that, 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 that clouded it, that if you will push it out, I I I I learned a lesson. When the assignment is being given, make sure you pay attention. Make sure you pay attention. My phone's beeping at me. I don't know why. Um but regardless of that, I I I didn't hear. You know what it is better to hear? It's better to hear the rebuke. Now, for some people, they would carry that and they would hold a grudge. I don't hold any grudge against them. I mean, we were all a bunch of little sinners in there anyways. So <laughs> I'm sure I probably did something that deserved it. But but the end result is, is you know, it, it, you, you look at that and you realize that God's trying to teach us, if you will, the way of life. If we listen to that instruction, we have a way of life that we know how to go. We know what direction we have. People in this world today don't have direction in their life. They wander around like zombies. And here he says that the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. It tells you exactly where to go and how to follow the Lord. Going back over there to Pro, uh, to Ecclesiastes chapter seven, he, he, he further clarifies this in verse six to, to kind of, again, Put a little bit more, um, if you will, color to this statement. In verse 6, he says, For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. When we take the things of a fool and listen to that more than the things of the wise, this is where vanity comes in our life. This is where we become vain. And when we look at vain, we're talking about something that is unprofitable something that is not producing a result or the correct result, something that is unfruitful. So keep that in mind. So when we look at this next part here, he's talking about that crackling of thorns under a pot. You know what the crackling of thorns is like? Let's just put it this way. It burns loud, it burns bright, it burns fast, and it never accomplishes the purpose. You take yourself a big old Dutch oven and you put it out there on the campfire. You got it all set up. You've got all, you know, all your rocks are arrayed the way they're supposed to be. You go out and you cut down a bunch of dried blackberry bushes. You take those and you lay them down in there and you get a whole bunch of them and you light it. What happens to it? It burns quick. They're small. They're dried. It burns fast. It burns loud, you hear the crackling of it, you see fire, and what happens? You put that pot on there, guess what happens in about two minutes? It goes out. You use those little things to start a greater fire, but you need wood and coals to really produce something that will cook what you're attempting to cook. To boil the water, to to, to cook the stew, to cook whatever it is that is in that pot, you need a consistent fire. You need a consistent heat. You need something that will produce the right effect. Crackling of a bunch of thorns, and, and, and if you will, the brambles, thistles, and things like that, it just burns in an instant, produces, again, like I said, a lot of smoke, a lot of noise, uh, 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 minimal heat. But it burns, burns fast, and, and it doesn't do what you need to do. You would have to constantly be feeding it that fire in order to try to get any action going inside that pot. The same thing is true with our life. The same thing is true when we want to be affected in our heart. We need, if you will, that fire of the word of God to get in there and, and to really affect it, to bring things to that boil, to to change it, to produce that savory result that is pleasant. There's nothing worse than you here you are, you're all excited about sitting down to eat a f- piece of food and you bite into it and it's as cold as the, you know, uh, the northern winters. <laughs> you're like, that's disgusting. You want your food to be hot and warm, unless it's a cold food. You don't want a hot popsicle. That's just weird. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying is, is you want you want something that's going to be pleasant. You don't want to bite into a cold piece of chicken. That's scary. That's really scary. I remember one time I did that. I went to a fast food place and I, I went home. Uh, I was really hungry. I, I, I got the sandwich. I bit into the sandwich, and the sandwich was cold, and it was raw. I was like, and I knew that they were closing in a minute, and I got in the car, tore over there, and knocked on the window. They were closed. I'm pounding on the window, and the manager comes up and goes, we're closed, we're closed, we're closed. And I said, my sandwich. And he goes, we're closed. And I held it up, and I said, it's raw. And he goes, meet me at the drive-thru window. (laughs) They pulled, I pulled around and sure enough they were, they they were very apologetic. Uh, they just, you know, dumped a whole new menu item food in there, uh, got it all cooked for me. (laughs) They sure was cooked and sent me on my way. Uh, probably hoping I didn't call the corporate office. I didn't. You know, I understand mistakes. You're cooking about five million, you know, burgers a day and, yeah. Qualities might diminish some. You take that risk when you go to fast food. But, but I, I just, you don't want that result. You want the result that is correct. So when we take a look at this and he says, look, it, it, this is, this is exactly what the laughter of fools does. And he talks about that in the whole first part. He's talking about, if you will, partying, and if you will, this pseudo-happiness, and this, this uh, if you will, fake, fake positivity, if you will, trying to drag all these things in to create a gladness. But we found, found this morning that where Christ got his gladness was loving righteousness and hating iniquity. Happiness that comes from the Lord is fearing him and following him. And what we find in this passage is is that somebody that sits there and just wants to, if you will, laugh it away, doesn't produce the result that we need in our life. When there's something that needs to change... When we are, if you will, going through the process, as he talks about mourning here, we're talking about things of repentance that we saw uh, um, connected to that. You know, when that rebuke comes, we, we 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 mourn over the fact that we disappointed God. We mourn over the fact that we uh, grieved him. We mourn over the fact that we sinned against him. And we respond accordingly. But if we have just a bunch of flash and we have a bunch of laughter and we just kind of dismiss it in hand, it's a vain result. It's a vain result. It, it, it's, it's blank. It's empty. It's not fruitful. It doesn't produce what God wants it to. It doesn't produce what God wants it to. Uh, go over to the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, it's kind of interesting these two verses. They're similar in form. <clears throat> <clears throat> Luke chapter 6, in a, Jesus Christ is speaking here in verse 21. He says, Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are they that weep now, for they for he shall laugh. And he, he, he's talking about some things in the physical world. Now again, we're talking about a spiritual matter here because he's talking about the kingdom of God in verse 20. Versus the kingdom of heaven over there in the book of Matthew. But here he's talking about a very spiritual nature, talking about something here, talking about those things that are to be hungered for, those things that we weep about now, and that later on we will have that joy, later on we will have that, if you will, eternal happiness that everybody's always trying to find. But take a look at what he says as you go down a little bit further into verse 25. He says, Woe unto you, you that are full, for ye shall hunger, Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. He gives this contrast and he says, look, the idea and the concept is, is to focus on the end result of pleasing God. The Rome, excuse me, not the Romans 12, the, the Ecclesiastes 12, 13 summary of the book. Fear of God keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. He summarizes the entire believer's life. He summarizes what mankind's existence is supposed to be. You can't fear God. You can't keep his commandments, though, if a person isn't rejecting Jesus Christ, rejecting his word. But what we find here in this passage is Christ is talking about this. He's saying, look, if you focus on the things of the physical life and you focus solely upon those as a means of gladness, as a means of contentment, as a means of happiness, you're going to be sorrowfully disappointed. But he says, look, if you focus on what is going to be coming after laying up our treasures in heaven. Having the desire to build with gold, silver and precious stone. Having those things to please our Savior, as he's called us to do in Revelation 4. Then we have the understanding that we as believers need to focus on things that are in the future. Pressing towards that mark as we look at in, 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 over there in Philippians. Going back over to, to, to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, he, he continues with another thought here. We've taken a look and we've gone through and we've seen, uh, you know, about four betters at this point in time. And he gets down here to this next one. And in verse 7, he says, Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. This is a very interesting group of verses. You ever sometimes sit there and look at what's going on in this world and st- sit back and go, and you know, they didn't have to deal with this type of stuff in the 1860s. You know, somebody just messed with you. You met him high noon in the middle of the street and shot him dead. <clears throat> I, that's not better, okay? <laughs> you know, people are like, well, you know, living off the land and stuff like that. Ah, yeah, well, you know, back then there's a lot more disease <laughs> life spans were not that long <clears> thing <throat> you know people were getting married off at like 13 years old it's kind of like hmm, yeah probably not a good thing <clears throat> you 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 look back at that and sometimes we have this longing to say those things of the old were far better oh it would have been better to live back in the day of the uh, uh, of the 1700s over there with Benjamin Franklin and George Washington and what get shot at by the british No, (laughs) that that, that doesn't sound pleasing to me. Somebody's like, oh, you know, back in the days of nights and things like that in the dark ages where everything was spiritually dark. No, thank you. I mean, you keep going back and at what point in time, other than the Garden of Eden, where where are we going to go and say that those days were better? Oh, you know, back in the day. Which, which day? Are you talking about the days of Noah? <laughs> Those aren't always better. But we look at this, and as he says, this is an unwise thought process. So let's take a look at this here. And it begins with this, with, with this problem that's out there. And it begins with oppression. Oppression. <clears throat> now I'll tell you this. Oppression is, is a difficult thing. Here in the United States of America, I would dare say we do not even understand the context of that word. Uh, you know, if, if, if what we're dealing with right now is true oppression, then, then I think we've got some, some, some things to figure out. This is not real oppression. Now I will t- say it is oppressive in nature. And it is getting to the point of that oppression. But I, I look at Christians today, and 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 you, you go over to other countries, and they're oppressed. They are oppressed. Go try to be a Christian in Iraq. I know a missionary that is a he. He has uh, a few churches he started in the Middle East. He himself is an Iraqi citizen. He started churches in Iraq to a specific group of people. He's also started churches in, in Kurdistan, uh, you know, where the Kurds live in their little territory. Um, and he's also started some in Egypt and he's got a new work going on in the Sudan. In the Sudan. And, and, and you have to be very careful as a believer because they find out you're baptized or that you, they, they see a, a baptism, uh, they will get very mad. They'll get very angry. And and some of these women uh, that, that get saved, these young women, they're getting thrown out. He he specifically has a ministry to these these women that have been outcasts because they, they, they don't they don't quote unquote fit into Islamic culture. And you and you think about this here and you think about how they, they, they behave and how somewhat secretive they have to be and, and some of the photos he posts, he, he has to blur out faces and can't mention names and, and things like that. We thank God we still don't have to do we don't have to do that here. We don't have to do that here yet. If it comes to that, oh man, I'll tell you that's gonna be a wake up call for quite a few Christians. It'll be a massive wake up call. But you know what, we should be eternally thankful and glad and content and say, Lord, I'm going to serve you and please you here. And again, as we talked about you know, winning that battle here in the United States, the first, the first place it starts is in our hearts. It starts in our hearts. If we can't win the day-to-day battles against our sin, how can we th- th- think that we're going to be effective for Jesus Christ in the world as a church, as a body? So here we are looking at this, this situation and he's talking about oppression and oppression is exactly that it is the, it is the, if you will, kind of the pushing down and the weighing down of somebody to the point to either get a compliance or to eradicate that individual. This is what real oppression is. And here he says something about oppression. And we've seen it. We've seen it in the Old Testament. We've seen what oppressive rulers and oppressive leaders look like. I mean, look at what it did to Elijah in that oppression. Here he is. He receives one letter from Jezebel saying that she was going to kill him, and he, he, he takes off. He takes off. We begin to realize that the, that the oppression that existed was, was, was something that was pretty fierce. I will tell you today, though, there there is a spiritual oppression. And there's a big difference between possession and oppression. You know, possession as we think the demonic or devilish possession that that, that is often seen in many parts of the world. Here in the United States of America, we generally don't see uh, that much of it, but when we do, it freaks us out. But I will say when we we realize what's going on here in in the United States, it's a spiritual oppression. It pushes us down, idolatry is oppressive, sin is oppressive, iniquity is oppressive and here's this wise man that sees this uh, look you you've probably heard me say you've probably heard others say that that i and I will say I have low tolerance. For stupidity. Now, I will say this. I have an extremely low tolerance for stupidity in my life, but I still do it. <laughs> but you, you you look at it, and, and, and my family knows. I can provide a running commentary on the the way that people drive. I'm not saying that I drive any better. But I can run, do a running commentary on, you know, well, look at that guy. Who does he think he is? Cutting up across five lanes of traffic to make that exit. Almost killed that guy. You know, I'm sitting there doing this running commentary. It's like Jimmy Stewart, you know, narrating the Indy 500. You know, <laughs> if you don't know who that is, I just really dated myself. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, here we are looking at, at this oppression that exists. And in, in, in Solomon points this out. Now, we understand there are some things that are oppressive today from our leaders. But not to the degree that's there. But here he's talking about a major depression and he's, or, or oppression. He says, "Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad." Now we've taken that word "mad" and we have altered it. When 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 somebody um, gets upset, we will we will approach them very gingerly, cautiously, like a sleeping bear, and we will ask the question. Are you mad? And we generally, when we use the word mad, we're talking about anger, right? Now, there is a bit of a relation and a correlation, which is why the word mad is there. Because when you become so obsessed and oppressed with anger, you act mad. And mad and madness, we are talking about irrational Uncontrolled, illogical behavior. I mean, we, we 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 see that sometimes. You drive down the uh, the street in certain places. You go over there off Mill Plain in Shawclaw. There was a guy out there. He was uh, you know on his little radio, and he was just yelling and cursing and screaming at whoever, at the cars that went by. He didn't care. Why? Because he had a mental health issue. He was mad. He was crazy. That's the term that we use today. We look at that, and that's exactly what we're talking about here. He's saying that oppression will wear you down. You know, there are all different tools that are in the devil's toolbox to get us to sin, to pull us away from God. Oppression is the slow one. It starts off small and then it just continues to build and continues to build and continues to build and continues to build. And, and, and I dare say that he likes that one because it is an, it's a long-term plan. And as I said this morning, he has a long-term plan. I mean, let's get this straight. He doesn't have a five-year plan. He doesn't have a ten-year plan he's got a 7,000 year plan, 7,000 years, man, we plan for something for dinner and we change it in three minutes, I mean, you know, as far as, as far as human beings planning, you know, we're not thinking that far ahead, you know, we're, we're just trying to live through today, you know, that mentality. But but I'll I'll tell you this you know here's the thing that happens and occurs as oppression begins to build it begins to push that person down to a point of if you will insanity to craziness to irrational and illogical behavior a, a person will behave unseemly as the oppression continues to grow but here's the issue. It's how we let it affect us. It's how we respond to it. This life is about how we respond. How do we respond to circumstances? How do we respond to events? How do we respond to words? How do we respond to the Holy Spirit? How do we respond? How do we respond? How do we respond? How do we respond respond when there's oppression? Well, he's saying that oppression will eventually drive a person mad. And I understand that it's a short drive for many of us. But we still, we will go just crazy if it just continues to get piled on to us. We start acting illogical. We start making sinful choices. We start making decisions that just are not biblically sound. And while we may be a person that seeks after the things of wisdom, I guarantee you this, it comes to a point of where we no longer seek after wisdom, but we start going through the ideas of foolishness. I'll give you an example. We get so oppressed by something in our life that it continues to happen over and over and over and over again. We want to, we want to do something about it. We're tired of it. It's, it's, if you will, it's driving us mad and we will say, oh man, I got to stop this. And what do we do? We try to stop it ourselves. We don't go to God first. We don't look for the answers in scripture. We don't seek out what the Holy Spirit desires us to, to teach us. We don't know what his will is in regard to it. But sure enough, we've got a plan to fix it. And it usually involves bailing wire and duct tape. And maybe super glue if we have it handy. Which we know doesn't fix the issue. There isn't restoration. There isn't, there isn't something that is done the way it's supposed to be. A person that is mad is a person that will indulge in their deepest, darkest desires and passions. It is a person that is motivated by emotions. And you know what happens is they begin to indulge in what we were talking about this morning, the complaints against God. As the oppression begins to build, the wise man will begin to be mad and he will begin to, if you will, illogically complain to God, that somehow this is God's fault. Case in point, the nation of Israel. Moses, you drug us out here to die. Moses is like, no, I didn't. (laughs) They start blaming God. Oppression. You know what their oppression was? We loathe this light bread. Do we have to eat this for the whole time? Yeah. It, it, it's bread from heaven. But they didn't like it. They didn't care for it. What did they want? They wanted to go back to where they were under real, true oppression, where they thought it was better with the, the, the fish, the garlic, the leeks, and the onions. They thought that was better when they cried unto God because they were being oppressed. That's not logical. That's not logical. But here's the issue is they were oppressed in their heart by their own sin. They weren't trusting God. There's nothing about that first generation that really truly would tell me that every single last one of those people was trusting God because, you know, here they are, boom, out come this calf and they start worshiping that and then they start murmuring against God and murmuring against Moses and just creating just a giant mess and when they get to the promised land, oh, we're all going to die. Illogical. We look at that and go illogical. But again, let's take heed lest we fall. Oppression comes our way and we start acting that way, we start complaining against God. Turn to, turn over to Psalm 125. <clears throat> Psalm 125. <clears throat> and, and, and I, I'm, I want us to read this verse and kind of think about it in connection to that first part. He says, they, uh, excuse me, that's that's verse 1. Let's go down to verse 3. It says, for the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. You know what God is promising? He's promising that the wicked are not always going to be doing this. They're not always going to be involved in this oppression. They're not always going to be doing these things. God is going to provide relief when relief needs to come. And the reason why is because look at what the end result is. He says here, he says, uh, lest the righteous put forth their hands into iniquity. When when the wicked are going through the oppression and the oppression and the oppression, and a person just, just decides to quote unquote snap, the end result is, is they will gravitate and if you will put their hands into iniquity. They stop trusting God. They stop following God's word. I'll tell you, one of the most ridiculous things that I've ever heard in my entire life is that all of a sudden somebody's going through some oppression, going through some difficulties in their life. Well, I'm just gonna just, you know, take a pause from church for a while. What are you, nuts? No. <laughs> you know what has happened? It drove them mad. That's not a logical thing. You you don't see a soldier going out there and like, man, I am so sick and tired of this battle. You know what? I'm just going to go off by myself. All the rest of his his soldiers are going to say, his buddies are going to say, dude, don't get out of the trench. Keep your head down. What are you doing? They'll tackle him and they will keep him down. And they will understand that what he's doing is like battle fatigue. There's actually terms for it where they just are like, I'm so done. And they just get up in the middle of a fight and they start walking away and dropping everything and they just don't want to fight anymore and they become a casualty. And it takes other soldiers to realize what's going on and in the middle of combat, they've got to grab a hold of that guy and keep him down so that they can keep and preserve his life. And here we are as Christians, I will tell you this, we should in no wise do that. Just decide one day, hey, I'm tired of this, you know, I'm going through so much stuff, I'm just gonna stay out of church. No, because that's where the edification happens. That's where the encouragement happens. Well, it doesn't happen to me. Then you know what? Go do it yourself. You're not getting encouragement and edification? Learn how to be an encourager and an edifier and go out there and do it for someone else because you see there's a need. And you know what happens? Edification and encouragement spreads. I always talk about sin spreading like a cancer. If you do the things of God, it will spread faster. Do we not believe that God's word is more powerful than sin? We've got to stop telling ourselves this lie, that sin is just going to be domineering everything. This is Jesus Christ. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Man we've got to get to that point and trust me i you know i i'm, I'm t- kind of talking to myself sometimes because i will do that i you get into the point where it's just like oh come on and then you stop and you realize i got to bring that thought into captivity i got to i got to take that thing mortify it do away with it And focus on being obedient to Christ. That's how we revenge disobedience, by being obedient. That's how you get victory over disobedience and sin in your life, by being obedient. The more obedient you are, the less opportunity you have to be disobedient. Let's say you have a 100 times in a day to be obedient. You find yourself that you're 99.9% of those times being disobedient you start being obedient in 10%, there's a lot fewer times to be disobedient. And if you get to the point of where you are 100% obedient towards the Lord, you don't have time to be disobedient. We have to begin to get into those mindsets here. This is what Solomon's talking about. And when he's talking about this oppression, it it, it does. It will make a person do behave a horrible way. And you know what happens? Is people begin to look at certain things the wrong way. Here he says in the second part of this verse, he says, And a gift destroyeth the heart. A gift destroyeth the heart. They can't receive the good things. Because of the illogical behavior that they're going through. If somebody was to walk up to you and say, I want to give you $1,000, and you're like, why? What do you want me to do? Nothing. I just want to give you a $1,000. You're like, we kind of look at them and we go, something's wrong. Something's weird here. And they go, no, I just want to give you a $1,000. There, are, There are people that make whole YouTube videos about that. They walk around and they give out stuff like that. There was one guy, he was walking around and he was giving out, um, uh, um, these, these gold bullion coins. And he said, you got a choice. Do you want a gold bullion coin or do you want ten dollars? Do you want to know what 99% of the people chose? The ten dollars. You're like, and people would, would, they would, they would walk through the logic. What am I going to do with a gold coin? They're like, I can't spend it. And he pointed and he says, there's a coin shop right over here. You could go in there and you can change it. And people would take the $10 and they're like, well, and how much is that gold coin worth? And they would look at it and he goes, well, it's one ounce gold coin. He says, so what? I don't know, like $1,700. The people would be like, can I change? No. They made their choice. You know what? He was kind of going around teaching people. But I'll tell you that, that we, we look at that and we go, man, I, if somebody offers me a gold coin, I'd be like, yes, and do you mind for everybody that sticks or, or that, that takes the ten dollars, can I take their gold coin? <laughs> because you understand the value of it. People today don't understand the value of things. So sometimes when there's an, a, an oppression that is continually happening in a person's life, Somebody comes along and they try to do something good, they try to do something that is right, and you know what? It it, it just it it blows up. It doesn't come out right. People don't receive it. You know, a lot you you take a look at some of these passages uh with commentaries and things like that, and they're talking about bribery here and things of that nature, and I'm like, I I just don't see how bribery would fit in this. I understand that there are many passages of Scripture that talk about gifts becoming oppressive because it perverts judgment and it and, and it causes some of those things to happen and occur. And I guess I can kind of see some of that. But here's a situation where you, it just said that the person that is here, the wise person, is now, if you will, classified as somebody that is mad. So when a gift is given, it does exactly the opposite. Because something has affected their heart. Something has affected their heart the wrong way. And then he gets to verse 8 where he starts talking about this better part. Better is the end of the thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Now this is the key part of this passage, these verses here. Because he mentions that word that everybody loves. Patient. It's one of those things that when we we start talking about, it makes us sometimes uncomfortable. And when oppression is there, if the wise man is not exercising the patience, the wise man will go mad. The good things that are given has the wrong effect in a person's life. Because they aren't thinking logically. Sin does not make you think logically. They sinned in the garden, and the first thing they did is they went out and they made aprons out of leaves. Out of leaves. These are smart individuals. Do you know what the durability of a leaf is? <laughs> Think about that for a second. <laughs> and God comes along and says, skins are better. <laughs> leaves. And no, they weren't sitting there taking and making cotton and linen to do this. No, they took leaves and they sewed them together. You know how frustrating that would be? Talk about losing your mind. And they finally accomplish these, these dainty little things that they've got to put on and they're barely holding on and, and, and Adam looks at Eve and Eve looks at Adam and Eve says, don't move, whatever you do, these things are just going to fall off. And then as soon as they hear God, they run for cover. That's not logical. But sin will make you do that. Fear. We haven't been given the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Fear in our life, when it is out of control, when it is not used correctly, does not produce a sound mind. We will think illogically. We won't think biblically. We'll think illogically. And next week, we'll talk a little bit more about this better part, this better decision. And it becomes very important here that that many of the things that cause this issue with patience and why patience doesn't want to be there is that wonderful little thing called pride that sneaks in there and will rob us of learning the lesson from God. But we'll talk about that, Lord willing, next week. Let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you again for this time. Thank you again for this opportunity to get into your word. I pray, Lord, that as we've heard these things tonight, we would focus upon them, we'd think about them, that, Lord, we would meditate upon them in a way that we would please and honor you. Thank you again for this day that you have given to us. And, Lord, I pray that it's been glorifying to you all that we've done here. Pray, Lord, that we would continue to give you glory, honor, and praise, that we would fear you, we would keep your commandments as we go about our day uh, throughout this day. And that, Lord, we would continue to do it throughout this week. Thank you again for all that you've done for us. I pray you take us home safely tonight. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.